You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 162 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Valerie Koo. How are you going? Good. What's happening in Gina world? Oh, my God. I just uh, finished a six-week project, and I'm yes. so very proud of myself. And, you know, do you do – you, um, like, you know, when you're in a big project and you just want to get to the end, do you give yourself rewards when you Yeah. You do? Oh, well, I give myself rewards even during the project. Oh, just, just to re- keep you going. Reaching mini, reaching mini milestones. Yeah, 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 for sure. And at the end, of course. Yeah. So, I, uh, when I finished, I was so mm. happy. Uh, yes. I made myself, get this, I made. Nutella? <laughs> Nutella? No. I mm. made a red velvet cake with cream cheese icing. Oh. You know, in- that, that, that's not like the response on it. It's beautiful. <laughs> but didn't you and I go to that, that bakery in New York together and get the red, red velvet cupcakes or was that with someone else? The one no, that they – there's I, just a I, really I, famous bakery. Yes, in, yes. I went, but I'd, I'd never had red velvet before oh, that, and I, w- I didn't like it. Oh, see, something wrong with you, Valerie, yeah, honestly. So it just That's weird to not like it because, yeah, so I made a whole cake and wow. then it's not yeah. just enough to have a cake. You've got to have the beautiful um, vanilla ice cream. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. And I reckon I, I – Gave away a couple of slices, maybe three. Uh-huh. I had the rest. <laughs> In one go? Yeah, pretty much. Really? In one yeah. day? Uh, I reckon it took me a day and a half. Let's like not, not be greedy here. Okay. Hmm. Wow. Is that your yeah. go-to reward? No, it'll change every time, but this was just my obsession for the last, uh, like, a couple of weeks as I was trying to get this project finished, um, and I wow. did, and I celebrated. <laughs> oh, well done. Well, Thank I you. never make cakes. I'll go buy them. <laughs> right. If, you know, if I'm going to reward myself. But, you know, good on you for making it. Well Thank done. Thank you. I'm surprised, it didn't, I'm surprised it didn't have Nutella in it. Oh, see, Ooh, Gary agrees. Gary is, is really annoying. wants to participate in today's podcast. Gary, of course, is Gina's Maltese Shih Tzu. Very, very cute. Uh, and uh, Hawaiian shirt on today, Val. Hawaiian shirt. 
got a Hawaiian shirt on. Oh, really? Why? <laughs> well, it's just a bit chilly since he's had his uh, coat trimmed, so he gets oh, around. Oh, Gary. <laughs> well, I hear it's freezing in Melbourne, but here we're having a heat wave in Sydney. It is um, 32 degrees, which oh, is I know. And Celsius. <laughs> Crazy, crazy. I've got the air conditioning on and you've got the heater on and a hot water bottle. Yes. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and um, we appreciate you joining us. And if you would like to join the listener community, if you're interested in photography, make sure you join us on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. And that's where lots of like-minded people and lots of fantastic photographers from all around the world share their shots, share their experiences and uh, where we hang out as well. Another place you might like to check out if you want to take your photography to the next level is Gina's Gold Community. Just go to ginamilitia.com, that's M-I-L-I-C-I-A, and click on join the community to find out all of the fantastic things that you can access, including um, getting constructive feedback from Gina about your photos, but also having a regular monthly Ask Me Anything with Gina, um, which you can do live. And we also record it in case you can't join us live. And uh, it's an awesome community full of fantastic photographers and some of the progress uh, some of the members are making is incredible, isn't it, Gina? I know. It's amazing. Like every every day when I go on there and have a look, I'm just so excited to see. It's like it makes my day. It's better than red velvet cake, Val, <laughs> I have to say. It's just uh, it, they're working so hard, but you just you see the results. You see from like, yeah. you know, oh, it's so cool. The progress is fantastic. Now, this week we have a very different topic. We've got Mm -hmm. how to photograph extreme sports with special guest Matt Cohen. Now, what made you think of covering this topic, extreme sports, Gina? Because it's something that I'm interested in and I know that it's something that all our listeners are going to love as well. So I know we started off uh, chatting about cake. Uh, We're going to bring the uh, (laughs) testosterone levels in the room up several notches, Val. So like you you can now, um, it's like what what, what do you do? You kick boxing, punching. What's your extreme sport that you do? Well, I wouldn't call it extreme. Well, what is it that you do where you get into box? Cage, what is it? Well, cage I, fighting. I, yes, <laughs> I don't really do it. I just go to a gym that does it. Yeah. So, yes. um, Matt Cohen is yes. known for being one mm. of the best rodeo photographers in the world, and his work is phenomenal. You can check it out at Matt Cohen photo.com so that's m-a-t-t-c-o-h-e-n photo.com and mm-hmm. for about six months of the year he's traveling uh, rodeos and capturing the action freezing action getting in there he's in the dirt like the 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 image that he shared uh as his um uh profile image for the uh, show notes is Matt running from uh, like a bull that is the size <laughs> of five men and the bull is ripped as well and so and that's him in the in the dirt and and like th- that's that's what he does 
for part of the year. What was really interesting is I did get into his head and tapped into the way that he thinks as a photographer. This guy is the best in the world, not because he has a great eye and he's a great photographer. This guy works. He's guts out to get the shot. And he will tell you uh, in the interview, you'll hear step by step of exactly what he does for a two, three, five, six day rodeo. And and you'll be blown away. And it's no wonder he's at that elite level because it's amazing. But what is very cool is the way that Matt shares uh, some of his little hacks for shooting that um, all the listeners, whether you're shooting your kids on Saturday playing baseball or you're shooting anything that's moving or any event whatsoever, the way he names his files, the way he uh, switches up lenses, the way he shoots with uh, faster lenses and uh, the way he exposes in hard light, really interesting stuff. I came away with so many takeaways and I'm, I'm so glad, very generous. It's, a, it's um, a great interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. Matt Cohen, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Great. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. All right. So, um, where, before we start, where where in the world uh, am I talking to you from? I'm located in Napa, California, which is about an hour north of the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, awesome. And so, now, you shoot rodeos. Have you just come off a season? How does it work? Do you Are you doing... Um, through the whole, whole year or is there a certain block? How does it work? Rodeo moves kind of with the weather. So in the winter, there's a lot of rodeos uh, in cold places and they're all inside. Um, I don't shoot very many of those. And then in the springtime, it comes out to California because the weather's not too hot, but it's done raining. So I shoot mostly like the end of March through the end of August. So yeah, I've been away quite a bit since the springtime and now I'm home mostly. So how, how, how do you, how do you get to the rodeos? Are you, are you driving? Are, like how do you get all your gear onto plane? Do, do you go on planes <laughs> a lot or like you're notching yeah. up the frequent flyer points? <laughs> I try I try to drive as much as I can, but the ones that are like more than six or seven hours, then I will fly. Um, I try not to fly because it's uh, I, I bring a lot of gear with me and it's uh, it's always an adventure. Um, and so when I drive, I have my own car and I can fill it up with whatever I want. But there are definitely times where I'm just going somewhere and I don't have enough time to drive or it's too long to drive. And so I'll I'll fly then and. Um, I use a think tank airport security rolling case, um, and I can fit two bodies and a 400 and maybe four other lenses in there. And that's pretty good for, for, you know, one rodeo. If I was gone for a long time, that probably wouldn't be enough, but I can definitely get away with four or five days with that. So you're away for four or five days, so you sort of need to bring everything. So are you like me when I take my car, it's filled to the brim. I put everything. I've got oh, the kitchen sink. I might need that. I'll put that in the back as well. Do you have like everything when you're going in the car? No, I, I don't take I don't take everything. I try to um, – because some of the places I go, I don't want to have anything visible or whatever. So I try to um, pack as lightly as I can and still have everything um, 
So I, I tend to bring a lot more like computer stuff, cables and charging and hard drives and stuff like that than I do camera gear because I want to be able to hide it all so that, you know, if I stop to get some food or something like that, I don't come back and have my car broken into. Is there a safety protocol? Like, so are you taking a couple of everything just in case one thing breaks? Have you ever been like out in the middle of nowhere and like that one cable that you needed lets you down? Has has that ever happened? Yeah, I bring two I always bring two card readers because yeah. those things are pretty <laughs> yes. cheap and flaky. And I, I guess, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago or something like that. I had one fail, not at a rodeo at, mm-hmm. at a hockey game. And I had to, you know, it, there's only like 15 minutes in between the periods. And so I had, to, I was late getting out because I had to borrow somebody's card reader after he was done using it. And, you know, that's just a situation I never want to be in. So with those cheap little things, I bring those, I bring extra backup hard drives so that I can have one like in the room and one in my pocket. Um, yeah. So, and like iPhone charging cables and things like that. But, um, you know, as far as camera gear goes, I just go with what I have. How how many cards are you traveling with? Like, um, CF cards? Uh, Eight or ten. At what size are you shooting to? Uh, 64. Wow. Do you fill those up? I don't, know. Um, it's just I like to use fresh ones. You know, I, I want to make sure that everything is completely backed up before I'm erasing what's on. I'm, I'm really paranoid about yes. backup. There was, a, there was a crazy story here about somebody who shot a wedding and then left her cards in her car and her car got broken into. Yeah, I heard that. And, you know, I just, uh, I don't, I don't play games with, with any of that kind of stuff. Like I always have multiple copies, no matter what stage I'm at. And I always make sure that I have one copy on me all the time, you know, just in case there's, you know, some crazy coincidence of bad luck. So just let's just on that, what is your protocol? Because I have a, a really strict one that m- many people say is a bit over the top, but it's until you've had something fail and you can't deliver a job, you, you do become paranoid. So you shoot to card 64 gig. How much of that are you filling up? Is there a point where you, you like you obviously, like you could shoot a, a couple of days on a, well, at least a day on a 64. So how much of that are you? filling up and then when you move to the next car you fill them yeah i fill them yeah you know i've never had i guess knock on wood i've never had problems with cards being over full um so i I just i just fill them up um i i don't i don't like to do a whole lot other than shooting while i'm shooting so i don't that's why i have big cards so that i don't have to worry about that i i just i want to shoot i don't want to have to think about changing a battery like if a battery gets to the point where it's uh you know been used and recharged too many times and it's not you know if i if i finish a rodeo and i'm at 10 percent or something like that i'll just get rid of the the battery and get a new one right um i I don't want to have to think about anything other than shooting while i'm shooting like there's plenty of time to think about all those other things at other times right so that's how i do that and then I, I take really good care of my pictures. Like I, they're, they're valuable to me and to my clients. And they're also mostly, 
you can't reproduce them. Like I'm not shooting portraits in a studio. I can't get a model back. I can't have a new setup. It's just whatever happens at whatever event that I'm shooting. So I, I, when I unload the cards onto my computer, then I back them up to two separate hard drives yep. and I keep everything one, one copy of everything, whether it's the, the, the spent cards or I have a pocket size SSD that I can carry with me. And I always have, uh, a copy of everything that's not backed up at home and, uh, online. I always have it with me because I can't get it back. So <laughs> exactly. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty psycho about it. I, we, we actually, I have a podcast and, uh, we were actually talking about that and my my partner in that is like the exact opposite of this. He's like super careless. <laughs> and when, when I was explaining, we, we uh, just on our last episode talked about this and he just sat there and shook his head the whole time. And, you know, <laughs> why do you go through all this trouble? And it's, I just, I don't, you know, the hard drives are cheap and memory cards are cheap and I don't ever want to take the chance of losing a picture uh, if it's under my control. Uh, so, like, what kind of hard drives are you, are you backing up to? I have uh, this new one that I got. It's like a little Samsung. It's like the, I don't know, it's like the size of a matchbook and it's a oh, terabyte. Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really good. So it's um, solid state. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really fast and it's really small and it's all metal on the outside. So I don't have to worry about it being fragile or anything like that. And it's worked out really well. And then I have an older SSD that's also a terabyte that's bigger. It doesn't fit in my pocket, but I can still take it wherever I go on the road. So between those two, I'm pretty well backed up, plus my my computer. So there's always three copies. And so are you carrying uh, cards in your pocket or do you keep them in your bag? What, what are you doing? So because you'd hate to be like at a crucial point and like, oh, my God, I've run out of cards. Yeah, I, can't no, run. I, never, no, I never do that. I have a little wallet. Um, I use Think Tank gear. Um, I don't know if they have that over there, yeah. but I, all of my gears think tank, they're located pretty close to here and I do some work for them from time to time. And, uh, so I have one of their little wallets that holds, I don't know, eight or 10 cards at a time or something like that. And so I just have that in my pocket. Fantastic. So how did you get into rodeo photography? Are you like, did you grow up on a farm? Did you ride horses? What, like what, how did you end up shooting rodeos? Yeah, I, I've lived in the city my whole life. Like right now where we live is the furthest outside of a city that I've ever been to, uh, that I've ever lived in. Um, it's, uh, it, I, I just, I was out riding my bike in a little bit south of San Francisco and saw a poster for a rodeo and I was shooting sports for, uh, and news for, a kind of like a news and entertainment information kind of website in San Francisco and uh, just said, you know, that might be an interesting thing to try and shoot something different than what I have been shooting, which is mostly like football and soccer and some uh, road bike races and uh, just got assigned to go shoot it and was only supposed to go for the first night of it. It was like a eight night event and ended up just absolutely being fascinated with it and shot all eight nights, uh, just to get as good as I possibly could at it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not a horse person. I've been on a horse one time, maybe when I was about five years old or something. Um, and I've even since I've been 
shooting rodeos. I've still haven't been on a horse or anything like that. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just fascinated with the culture and I really enjoy the access that I get to shooting it. So, um, yeah, it's just like a weird kind of coincidence. <laughs> it's one of those things where you can, it, it doesn't happen too often that you can point out one exact instant in your whole life that changed the whole course of your life. And that's what rodeo has wow. been for me. So just backtracking there, how did you break into photography? What was your, your sort of entree? How, how did you, did you do a cadetship at a newspaper? Did you study? How did, how did you start as a photographer? I started shooting when I was really young. My dad was certainly not a professional, but a, pretty skilled, uh, amateur hobby kind of photographer. And we traveled a lot when I was a kid. And so my dad would always give me one of his cameras and I would shoot and I really liked it. And, um, I look at some of those pictures from when I was a kid and I definitely had, um, the beginnings of the eye that I have now then. Um, but this is all film. Mm. And after, high school and college, I didn't have access to a dark room anymore. So I stopped shooting for like 10 years, just, you know, waiting, I guess, not knowing it, but waiting for digital to, <laughs> to catch up. And when it finally did, I started shooting a little bit and remembered how much I liked it and was able to spend enough time to get significantly better fairly quickly. Thank, you know, thanks to digital. And, uh, I started shooting high school sports for a local chain of newspapers around here. And then, uh, just kind of moved up, started shooting for a couple of wire services and, uh, some other websites. And then just started getting more and more commercial clients and, um, and then through rodeo just ended up making it a full-time thing. So you, you were always kind of had an eye to shooting things that move quickly, but in that sport. So you, 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 you had an idea of how to, uh, freeze action and anticipate the moment, right? But like rodeo is a whole, it's a whole different ball game. So, Talk me through that first time that you like here you are sent on on location to cover a rodeo. What was that like? How, like did did you have a clue what you were doing when you got I there? I had no idea. No <laughs> idea at all. It was um it, it was just the weirdest thing. Like I, the door that I went into was the, it, there's also some rodeos have stock shows with them and I still don't really understand even though I have friends who do this, I still don't understand what the, how it works or anything, but there are stock shows where they judge cattle on, you know, like how muscular they are and really? how well proportioned and whatever. Well, I, I don't understand anything like about bodybuilding. it. Like bodybuilding. Yeah, kind of <laughs> like that. But like I couldn't tell the difference between one or the other even now. But yeah. I walked in through the stock show entrance because I didn't know I'd never been to this place before. I had no idea where I was. And I walked through and there were people judging these animals and taking care of them and like shampooing cows and <laughs> giving them haircuts and blow dries. And it was the weirdest thing. So I was already like on tilt from, from when I first walked in. Um, and then I got out there and it was really, this is an old building. It was probably from the twenties or thirties, wow. something like that. Very, very dark and having a lot of dirt in the air doesn't really help that very much at all. And so 
literally in between the first night that I shot and the second, I went out and bought new some new lenses because I I didn't have enough fast 2.8 or faster lenses. So I actually went out and got new lenses just to go back. Oh my god! Uh, to you know to shoot it and. Um, I definitely got better. Like my pictures from the end of that week are definitely better than the ones at the beginning. But I, I look back now and I just cringe because I didn't know where it, you have to know, like kind of what the rules are so that you can process it conventionally and then know, OK, well, I don't want to make those kind of pictures. I want to make these kind of pictures. But you still have to know where you can be to even get those. And I had no idea what I was doing at that point. It didn't. And in that year, I only shot that one rodeo. Like it took me a long time to be able to get into as many rodeos as I wanted to shoot. So the beginning of it was really slow going. Like they're, they're not bad pictures, but you wouldn't show them to rodeo people now because they would say, this looks like somebody doesn't know anything about rodeo. Cause you're not, (laughs) you're not taking it like at the moment that they think is the most important or something like that. And so they're the commercial value of those pictures is like nothing because um rodeo people would look at it and be like that's not what rodeo is which is kind of weird because to me they look good and the people who don't know about rodeo they say oh yeah that's a good picture but then you show it to somebody in rodeo and they that's that's not right you're doing it wrong so yeah i put in a lot of time trying to get into more rodeos after that yeah and there's a lot of rodeos in california um but it's just you can't just walk up and and get in like you really really have to be in that culture and know people and and still have to do a lot of paperwork and whatever to to get in there so it was it was a real uphill struggle when i first started to get in to shoot and to practice enough to get better at it so it's like any big sporting event you you need the accreditation um before you're allowed in the door but like back to that that first event so you're there looking around there's all this stuff going on did you have uh the 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 client that commissioned you did they give you a shot list is there when when you shoot a a radio is there a set um type of image like you you know this is the money shot when they're doing the the bulls coming out on and this is the like when you know are there certain angles that you need to cover off are there certain shots that are like must get for, for this sort of event they did not give me anything because the people who who i was shooting for at the time knew even less about rodeo than i did <laughs> right. um, so they they didn't care they just they just they were so because they didn't even know that there was a rodeo that happened in San Francisco. Like it, it, it wasn't, it's not like a really, like now they have billboards on the highways and things. So I think more people at least know that it happens. But back then people didn't even know, like I was shocked when I found out that there was a rodeo in San Francisco. So they just said, go and just you know, get pictures so that we can show people. This is something that, that actually happens in the city that wouldn't ordinarily be known for rodeo. Um, so I just, I did whatever I wanted at that. Now, there's definitely more of a shot list and there are rodeo is a very conventional kind of thing. Like there are guys that shoot rodeo who have been doing it forever and they will take the same picture of the same event 
every single time for years on end. And, the, you know, like I was just saying, there are, the, when you look at those pictures, rodeo people would say, yes, that's how you would shoot barrel racing. That's who, how you would shoot tied on roping. And I just don't think like that at all. Like I want to have different angles and I want to have pictures that look different. And if I want to shoot from directly opposite where I should be, then I want to be able to do that. And so now I do have a list of guys that I need to shoot. And there are, I want to get my clients pictures that they could put into an ad and they wouldn't be stretching to do that. But then I also want to challenge them and say, if you're looking for something different, I have plenty of these for you also. So, um, I, I'm not even, even when I have a shoot that has a very strict shot list, I'm still going to do other things because I, I'm just not happy when I come back with too many things that are conventional and that will fit in, you know, very narrow definition of what it is. So talk me through an event. You, you get, you get into the rodeo. It's like, what, what is there an average, uh, time, like number of days or do they, you know, is there a minimum? Is it one day, two day, five days, or are they all different? And when you arrive, is there like a set spot where this is the photographer's pit and this is where you shoot from or are you um, going high, are you low? Where are you – what's your thinking process when you arrive? Like t- talk me through a day in the life or an event uh, f- for you. What happens? So there are one-day rodeos but I don't usually go because then the travel isn't really worth it. Like it's not, it's not worth having – uh, you know, driving four or five hours somewhere and only shooting one day and then coming back. So usually two is the minimum that I'll go somewhere for and they go up to 10 days. Uh, some of the bigger rodeos are 10 days long. Wow. Um, so I, I generally shoot mostly the same rodeos every year cause those are the ones that fit into my schedule and are close enough for me to get to. And so I know which way the light is going to go uh, at, at what time of day they're doing it. And so there, there are some things I want to work on. Like if there is uh, a performance that's right at dusk or sunset or sunrise for the qualifying, I want to be in a certain place to take advantage of that light because a lot of times it's either at night under floodlights or at noon under sun that's coming straight down. So I want to, when I go somewhere, I want to know okay, this is where I'm going to have good light. And I really want to take advantage of that and not really worry quite as much about getting kind of conventional pictures because I know that I can get those at many other places that I go. So the, the ones where there's really good light, I want to do different things that feature the light and not specifically feature whoever I'm shooting or whatever event that is. Uh, there are some where there is a photographer's area. Um, I, the, the governing body of rodeo has uh, a program where if you're, you go through this long process, you can get a card that lets you shoot from the dirt. So before I had that, 
yes, I was limited sometimes to shooting from the same place for at sometimes 10 times, 10 days in a row, uh, which is really not where I want to be. But, um, now I can just go wherever. If I want to shoot from the dirt, I'll do that. If I want to go back onto the shoots, I can do that. If I want to go into the stands, um, you know, I'll, I'll just go wherever I want and try to get different looking pictures. But the goal for me is when I come back from a rodeo, if, I, if I'm there for two days or from there for 10 days, I don't want each day's pictures to look like any other day that I was there. It doesn't always happen like that because sometimes you can only take what what's there and doing something outside the box is just going to look bad because of the angles or the light or the distances involved. Some of these arenas are, you know, like bigger than a football field long and wide. And so there's, there's not a whole lot fancy that you can do when it's that, because if you're shooting from so far away, the pictures aren't going to really have any impact anyway but my goal is always try to get pictures that look different and don't make it look like you were doing the same thing for more than one day for the for the length of the rodeo so you're you're turning up so you're you you fly in or you drive in uh what what time are you getting to the location are you going straight there and scoping out the arena and are you planning the shot so you're thinking okay uh here's a hero shot that i want to get at you know uh at dawn this one i want to get at dusk i need to be here 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 are you choreographing the shoot are you are you planning where you want to um be and how much how much are you moving around through through the uh the three days or the six days that you that you're working i i do uh i do more kind of typical planning when i'm going somewhere where i haven't been before and each year i'll definitely go to two or three places new to me just to add variety and depending on how it fits into my schedule but the places that i go to like I'll go to maybe, I don't know, 20 rodeos and shoot maybe 50 days worth of rodeo a year. And most of those will be ones that I've been to before. So I don't really need to walk around and figure it out because I already have it kind of in my memory, you know, which way the light goes and, you know, where to be and where not to be in a general sense. Um, I will get there early, but mostly to get behind the scenes kind of pictures of guys pulling up in their pickup trucks and getting their gear ready or exercising their horses or, um, you know, get the stock contractors feeding the bulls that they own or, you know, there's a lot of activity that goes on at a rodeo because again, these aren't like, this isn't a baseball stadium where they're having 80 games at the stadium and it's all pretty much, um, you know, like a six month thing. These are events that happen two, four, six days a year in one place. And then that's it. Like that's, that's the length of the event. So these things have to get built up really quickly and then torn down really quickly. So there's always a lot of activity going on and I want to kind of get a deeper uh, a deeper view into it because if you just go to a rodeo and buy a ticket and sit in the stands, you see what you see. I don't want to be replicating that. I want to show people who look at my pictures what it looks like for the whole thing right. for where they can't get to or things that they're not for safety reasons. They're not allowed to get as close 
as I am or because people know me, they're willing to let me come into their motorhomes and their trailers and shoot things that just your average fan wouldn't want to see. And so my job, just when I'm shooting any sport, my job is to show people things that they're not going to be able to see if they buy a ticket or if they're watching at home on TV. So you're getting in right behind the curtain. It's a real behind the scenes, exclusive access all areas kind of way of showing it off. So how long is a day you getting in like what what time would you start and then like you shoot uh is there a break what time are you finishing and then like when are you doing your uh file selection backup how how on earth do you keep track of all those images do you have an assistant what what, what's the uh protocol there yeah, they're, these are long days. Um, there are, at the bigger rodeos, they have qualifying because they will always have more contestants than they have time for. Because like a rodeo performance itself is probably going to be about two and a half to three and a half hours. But if you took everybody who was going to be at a rodeo on a given day and put them, the, the rodeo would be six hours or six and a half hours long. And people aren't going to sit around for that. Like they're basically people's attention span is the same for rodeos. It is for baseball or football or soccer or anything like that. It's, you don't want to keep them for much more than three hours if you right. can. So there's qualifying in the morning. So there, there are times when I have to start shooting at seven. Oh, so there'll be qualifying from seven until 10. And then maybe I'll have a break from 10 until the I'll, I'll get to the rodeo at five for a seven or seven thirty performance, and then I'll shoot for another two and a half or three and a half hours. So I, it could be shooting for seven hours, eight hours in a day, and then editing for about that about that much. So um, how, it is how, it's a lot. How are you keeping track of like because obviously you need to know who the contestants are and what their names and all of that. How are you keeping track? Is there someone? Uh, helping you with that or are you doing that on your own and and what how do you do that uh, yeah i don't i don't ever shoot sports with an assistant i, I have assistants when there's lighting involved mm. you know in a studio kind of thing or an on location kind of thing but um when i'm shooting sports i don't have an assistant it's just i i'm i'm just way too picky about how i do things and training someone to do that and and then traveling with them and all that would just kind of wreck everything that i do so i don't do that right um i I started out, like I said, shooting uh, on deadline for for small newspapers and having to send pictures out like in between the periods of a hockey game or at halftime or uh, of a football game or in between innings of a baseball game. So I can caption and edit, I would say, a lot quicker than most people can. Um, I as far as identifying, it's it's a lot harder in rodeo because the they're not wearing uniforms and they don't have their numbers on most of the time. Some rodeos make them wear numbers, but most don't. So I will either take a picture of the scoreboard that will have their name on it right uh, after clever. their run, or I'll use the voice recorder um, on my camera. That's a little the taking a picture of the scoreboard, you can edit a lot faster. So you don't have to stop and play back the recording. Yep. Um, but if all else fails, I definitely will use the recorder because it's better to be slow at it than to, you know, have to guess or ask somebody else who somebody is, if I don't recognize them. Um, so I can get through those pretty quickly. I can get rid of the pictures that I don't want to keep and I can caption the ones that I do. 
doesn't take me all that long, but it is, it's a pretty high volume. Like if they're, if I'm shooting for eight hours in a day, there, there definitely could be over a thousand pictures very easily. Um, so it, it, it's a lot. And, and, but the thing is that, like I said, my rodeo schedule is limited to, four months, five months out of the year. So it's all, I always can see the finish line. So it doesn't really get that overwhelming. It's like, I know I have to work really hard, but then I know that it's going to be over. Yeah, it's, it's not like a year round kind of thing. It's, it's, it's intense. So like what time do you, are you getting to bed? Like how long does it take you to, uh, edit your images, uh, and caption everything? Yeah, it it takes about as long as I'm shooting to oh to edit everything. So yeah, if if I'm shooting for eight hours, then I'm editing for eight hours. Each day. And, and yeah. Oh my yeah, god. Absolutely. So yeah, a six so. day event, you're doing sixteen hour day. It's like doing six weddings back to back, really. Right. Can you walk <laughs> it's, after you finish? Well, it's, like- <laughs> it's not quite as bad as as a wedding because I'm not like I'm on my own when yeah. I'm out there. I'm not taking direction. I'm not telling people. You know, I, I've done a couple weddings. Uh, it, I'm not a wedding photographer at all, but I, I can definitely recognize that when I'm out there shooting and not having to direct people and not, and only being responsible for what I'm doing, it's, right. it's certainly easier than, than having to go and be social and, and interact with a large, uh, large group of people at the same time. So, um, it's not as bad as shooting all those weddings back to back, but it is a, a pretty high volume. And I, I try to stay as current as I can because there's nothing worse than sitting there knowing that there are three, 4,000 pictures, uh, on your computer and, um, and you know, knowing that you have to look at them for the first time. So I try to stay as current as I can, um, you know, get all the, the IDing done and, and certainly make a first pass through and recognize which ones are going to work and which ones aren't, especially because if I'm somewhere for four days, I don't want to make a mistake over and over again. So if I'm shooting one day and I see something is not working, I want to be able to, to recognize that by looking at the pictures and say, there's, I tried this every which way I could and it's not working. I'm not going to force it anymore because I could be making actual pictures that do work and I'll work on this somewhere else where maybe the, the arena is configured differently or the lighting is different or different time of the day. Um, so I want to stay as current as I can so that I'm not, um, you know, going down a rabbit hole of the wrong the wrong way to do it right so when, when it's a long event like that and you're in the one arena you you have the opportunity each night to review your images and say okay check out the light over here if i just do tweak this setting or maybe use a, a longer lens or or adjust something here i can probably uh pick up something really good so you, you're doing it you probably you don't switch off you'd be constantly thinking about the next shot and how to make it better yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, you know, there's not a whole lot of time while the event is going on to, to make changes. Like you're, you can't bring all the gear that you have out into the arena. So you have to stash it somewhere and the, they're not going to stop so that you can go and change gear. So basically you're, uh, you're with the gear that you have, unless there's like some kind of, um, you know, like a weather break or something like that, where you would have time to, to go and change it up. But so I don't want it to go any longer than, than one session 
you know, where something isn't working. So, um, that's why I'm, I'm one of the reasons why I'm pretty, pretty serious about going through all my pictures in between. So just on that, there's uh, an image of, uh, you that you've sent me that's, uh, I'll put in the show notes, uh, that, uh, you're being chased by a bull. So you're in, on the, in the dirt. Is that the, uh, the term for it? Yes. And that's right. like, this bull would be, I don't know, I'd hate to guess, but obviously he, the bull works out. I can see its, uh, its muscles. It's actually ripped. Yeah. And, uh, it's, yeah. a, it's, that's a, that's a big animal and you're bolting out of the way. That, that, you're crazy. That's like, how, are you getting that close? At, yeah, what, not, what not as a doing? general, not as a general rule. Um, that was, uh, I, I was trying to do something that I hadn't done before. It was a smaller rodeo where I knew everybody involved. And I just said, listen, I want to, I'm going to hide out behind the clown barrel. So they, the clown, the rodeo clown is out in a barrel. And that's kind of like, if you're, it, it's for, if you're getting chased, like it's something right. out middle that moves around. So it's not like a permanent thing that somebody's going to get hurt on. But, um, so it's just out there like as an island of safety so that if it's not really all that safe, but it's better than just having a bunch of open ground. So I, I got permission. I said, listen, this is what I want to do. Like this, I, I want to get as close as I possibly can. I figure if I squat down behind this barrel and just kind of shoot from right beside it with only my camera sticking out that the bull's not going to see me. And even if it does, I'll be able to go around the barrel the other way and get to the fence. And they were like, yeah, no problem. We want you to get the best <laughs> pictures you can get. Um, and you know, go for it. So I, I was hiding out back there and this bull just kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but it, it just charged oh directly at the barrel at full speed. Uh -huh. And usually after the bull bucks the rider off, it doesn't, it's not going anywhere at full speed. It's kind of, it's looking for the, the gate to get out because it knows that there's food back in the pens and it doesn't really want to be in the arena any longer than it needs to be. So, but this bull just took off full speed right at the barrel and I waited as long as I could to try to see if it was going to go one way or the other. And then I would go the opposite way and it just, it just went right at the barrel. And I, so I had to choose at the last second and the bull ended up chasing me twice around the barrel oh off of me. And that was, that was a pretty close call. Um, the, the picture you can see my, the hand that isn't carrying my camera is probably about it, it, six inches away from the bull's oh neck. Oh my God. So yeah. you probably didn't sleep that night. You would have had so much adrenaline cursing through. There was, body. yeah, there was quite a, quite a bit of adrenaline for sure. Um, oh a friend God. of mine who was there, this is in a pretty small town in Northern California, and she said that she didn't want to have to call my wife and tell her that I was at oh. the worst hospital in California. Oh so yeah, it was uh, it was pretty scary when you know when I uh, calmed down enough to realize what had just happened. And so yeah, at that point you back off because I'm not in this for an adrenaline rush. Like right. it is that's a that's a byproduct of it, and it always will be. But I don't I don't need that rush. Like that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing it to get closer to get better pictures. That's all. They, if there's a safe way to get better pictures, there are times when. I'll be outside the fence kind of shooting on my stomach underneath the fence because I can get close enough to the action. I'll do that because yeah. I don't, I'm not out there trying to prove something. 
It's just there are times when the only way that you can get close is you're going to be taking a little bit of a risk and you have to know, okay, this is how many steps is going to take for me to get to the fence. And this is when this is how close the bull is going to get to me before I'm going to turn around and run away. And yeah, so I have to do that pretty rare. I'll definitely have to run for the fence at every rodeo. Yeah, but it's, it's generally not that it's more of a on to be on the safe side kind of thing than it is the bulls actually getting that close to me. So just on that, um, I see in this image here, there's one camera. I don't see another. Have you got another one on your back or are you just, no. so, so you, <laughs> no, what, what, it's, it's not safe to take, to take more than one out there. Like the, the, the end result of this is that like a horse, if a horse is running around, the horse isn't head hunting you, the horse will, um, you know, the, it might get too close and it definitely will step on you. If, you know, if your foot is sticking out or something like that, but the horse isn't going to ram you into the fence and it's certainly not going to chase you. If you're, uh, if you jump up on top of the fence, it's not going to, it's not going to still come after you. It's going to, it's going to run away. Bulls. There are some bulls that you, you know, you can jump up on the fence. You can be on the top of the fence and that bull is still going to come after you. So when you're, you're running away from a bull, the object isn't to get to the fence is to get over the fence and it's just not it's not uh feasible to to be running and then jumping and getting over the fence and landing safely with um with two cameras on so no i i will uh generally be shooting with two cameras but the when i'm in the arena during bucking horses or bucking bulls there's i'm only gonna have one camera with me for for escapability reasons right so you've got to be fast for this so like it sounds like you're moving around and you're constantly trying to find a better vantage point you're up down you're up on fences and it's like it sounds like you're doing an extreme sport as well it's like sounds like a tough (laughs) matter it's it is it's pretty physical because it's certainly carrying the gear around is and then knowing, uh, you know, when it's time to bolt and and to jump over, I've had, um, cracked ribs from the fence. I've had, uh, cracked ribs from getting kicked by a horse. Um, it's definitely a physical thing. And then, and then the, the events, like there's seven different events during rodeo and they, they come out of different ends. So there's a lot of in between, you know, while they're changing from one side to the other side, then I'm running to get into the right place so that I'm not caught out of position. So it's, it's definitely not, um, you know, like when I shoot a soccer game, you're, you can't move around during that. You're sitting on a stool shooting over the sponsor boards and that's all you're, that's all you're able to do. But at rodeo, I'm constantly moving around up and down and from side to side and sometimes definitely jumping over the fence. So it's like, it, 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 it feels like it's all intuitive. Uh, are you like, it doesn't feel like you've got time to even think, all right, I'll change my aperture here. I'm going to like, you, you just do. Is that right? Like, it doesn't feel uh, like no, you've got I, time. I think about, yeah, I think about that stuff because there are, so for like a bull ride, there, there will be a good number for, for, number of bull rides in a performance will be like 12 or 15 at the, at the very most there will be 15. And so they, the bull will come out and will balk for, uh, for eight seconds. That's a qualified ride is eight seconds. And then it takes a little bit of time to, to get the rider out of the arena, to get the bull out of the arena. And then the next guy has to get ready and go. So there are these little gaps in there where I can see what I've been doing, 
um, you know, in, in like the most brief sense on the back of my camera and then, you know, make changes certainly to, to shutter speed and aperture, right. especially if the light is changing or if I'm moving from, uh, you know, shooting into the light to shooting with the light, there would definitely be changes that I need to make there. I don't, I don't know. I, for me, it's like, um, I've, I've been doing this for 10 years, a little bit more. So I know, um, you know, I know these places really well and it does become second nature, but I do still think about doing that because again, I want to, I don't get a whole lot of chances at this. Yeah. And so I want to make every one of them count. So I don't want to end up with, you know, seven bull rods in a row where I've, forgotten that I moved to shooting backlit to shooting with the light and, uh, you know, just blown everything out and, you know, those pictures are ruined. So yeah, in a, in a very kind of cursory sense, I'll, I'll keep my eye on that. But most of it is working out the angles and the distances and trying to get as good backgrounds as I can. That's, that's where most of my thinking comes in. All right. So just on that, so technique now, so you say that you're using Two two bodies mostly. So, have you got a, a, a long lens and a and a faster lens on the other camera? H- how's that work? What are your go tos most of the time? And and then you know, would you know that? Okay, so I've got the the bucking coming up, so I'm going to go two hundred, three hundred, and then move to a, a shorter lens. H- how does that work? Yeah, usually I'll have at least one of the bodies will have a long lens. So either depending on the size of the arena, if it's a really big one, it'll be 400. If it's, uh, you know, like a medium size one, it'll be three. Um, so one of the, one of those will always be on one of the bodies unless I'm doing something, you know, unless I'm specifically doing something that I don't want to be using long lenses for. And then the other one, um, I shoot 70 to 200, um, rodeo is very unpredictable. And when you're getting up close like that, it's, it's good to be able to, to zoom like that. But I also use, um, what people wouldn't think of as sports lenses, um, like portrait lenses, like a 85 1.4 or a 105 F2 or a 135 F2 just to get like a different look. Cause it, shooting with one of those lenses, it's going to be in the range of the 70 to 200, but it's going to look completely different yeah. than that. And yeah. so I, I like to take every advantage that I can get to make more interesting pictures. And so when I use those lenses, even if I'm doing something that's largely the same as something that I've done before, I can, you know, those lenses will flare more. The, the depth of field will be much, much shallower. So they'll just always look different. And so it's just an easy way to get pictures that look different than other ones and opens up if you're really working at it a lot more creative possibilities using the light and using the shallow depth of field to to really make pictures look different um so so that's kind of like you know the the real long and then the the intermediate range and then i i really enjoy shooting wide most of the time when i'm shooting wide it's behind the scenes kind of (laughs) stuff but there are definitely times where um where i'll get up close and just say okay i'm gonna I'm going to make basically what amount to landscape pictures with some rodeo action added in. And I'm not going to do that all the time because that will get really boring. And once people have seen something like that, they've seen it, you know, but I definitely like to have that kind of variety of pictures. So I shoot with a a 14 to 24 a lot and a 24 1.4 a lot. When you, so with the the faster lenses, like the 85, 
are you nailing focus a, a lot? Because they're a slow focus, those uh, lenses. Like, are you shooting those for using those for action or? Yeah. You are. Yeah. And you, you get yeah. in the focus? Yeah, I use, um, I, you know, the I shoot Nikon D5s mm. now. And the, it, it really, I, I tell this to everybody who asks because I have a lot of people who, you know, either could never justify buying a camera like that, or maybe they're borderline. Like I, you know, I have a D3 and it's 10 years old or something like that. Should I get this? And the way I describe the D5 is like the focus is basically like cheating. Mm. It's if you can set it up right and if you can learn how to use it, it's it's magic almost. And so a combination of the the power of that camera and then a uh, focus uh, back button focus. Yep. Um, if you can time that out right, you can you can definitely nail a shot even with, uh, you know, a very shallow depth of field lens and a slower focusing lens like those. I really don't have any trouble doing that. That's excellent. That's amazing skill too. And also like, it feels like uh, risky, but like, I think it's after absolutely, it, it, it no, is it's risky. absolutely risky. If so, you're shooting, if you're shooting something at 1.4, 85, 1.4, and you are, let's say 20 feet away or something like that. And somebody's on a horse, if the autofocus slips off, off of the the person and goes onto the to the horse you know the the distance between the horse's head and the person's head could be three feet four feet there's definitely one of those is going to be out of focus yeah and you know you have to be careful of that because like i have a client who makes these um adhesive strips they're like um for people that snore but they're for horses And they're, um, they go on the horse's nose and they kind of, um, they stretch out the nostrils so that the horse can get more air in and out. Uh Right. So I have a client that makes these. And so I have this great picture of one of their, uh, endorsers who, um, is coming around a barrel and for me, I'm mostly shooting the athlete, but so I have her, the athlete's face in focus, but because it was like a 135 F2 or something like that, the the strips on the horse's uh, nose are out of focus because the the depth of field was just way too shallow yeah. for that. And so then I had to go out and say, okay, the next I'll I'll get your I'll get your your uh, your rider the next time out. Yeah. And so then you know I'm shooting it at four or something like that to know that I'm definitely gonna gonna have both of them in focus. But you know for me because again I shoot more than I need to yeah. so that I can have the variety. It's okay if the focus comes off. Like I, you know, there will be, there will be rides where the the horse will go behind like one of the judges or one of the safety people or something like that, and that I try really hard to avoid letting the focus stop on them. But sometimes it does, yeah, and it'll throw it off for the whole ride. Like I just won't be able to catch up and you know re- recompose everything and get the focus nailed and so i'll just miss a ride completely yeah. and if i was supposed to get all of my pictures at one rodeo that would be a huge problem but again i can take these risks because i'm shooting as many days as i can and if i miss that ride or i'll definitely get them at the next one that's um that's great thinking it's kind of that no risk no reward you you know that you've probably got the 70 to 200 you've nailed that shot and you can come in with the uh the faster lens and uh, and really go for it and try and get something different and w- with that risk as well. But you've covered yourself, I, I imagine, with the uh, the other lens as well. Yeah, I mean, if I see if I see the same cowboy at. 
10 of the 20 or so rodeos that I go to, I don't need 10 of the same picture of that guy mm. because the sponsor is only going to buy at the most, maybe like four of them or something like that. Like, and, and even if they've arranged to have access to all of them, they're not going to use all of them. So for me, it's like once I get a couple of good pictures that are more conventional, I can take those risks yep. because that's the only way you're going to get something that's truly great is exactly. by risking it. And I don't need 10 pictures that look exactly the same or even 10 pictures that look different that are all conventional. That's just boring to me. And I would rather go to a couple more rodeos here and there to be able to take those risks than to come back with 10 pictures of that guy for a whole season, for a whole year. Like, and I'm not going to have another chance until the next spring. That's a long time to wait to, to really try something. So I want to, I want to be able to mix it up, you know, during the same season and, and taking those risks is definitely part of it. I like your thinking. And I think that's why you're one of the best uh, radio photographers in the world, because it's like you, you, you're working there for the client, you're getting what you need, but then you're always constantly pushing it and finding better ways because it would be I imagine there are photographers that would go out and just shoot it safely and deliver the stuff safely to the client but I think that if you want to keep uh, going up to the next level you really need to take that risks and I, and I think that um, a lot of the listeners can take uh, that advice to any um, genre of photography and, and and apply that I think it's a, a great way of thinking right. it's it's definitely not just sports. I, mm. I think that you have to be, you have to be really honest with yourself. And I think for me, I look at my pictures a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's really important to do that. And while you're looking at them to be honest and say, okay, well, if I had to show somebody like, let's say, cause I've, you know, people will, companies who I'm not actively working with will come to me and say, okay, we just sponsored this guy. And so we want to see all your pictures. And, you know, if I've shot that guy over the course of a few years, I don't want to show them 50 pictures that look all the same. Cause to me, that makes me embarrassed. Like I, yeah. if I was, if I wanted, if I wanted to go somewhere, if you, if I was going to buy something and I went in and they showed me 50 of the same thing, I, you know, if I was buying dinner plates or something like that, and I, what was the point of me coming to the store? If all of your things look exactly the same, you could have just sent me one picture and that would have, that would have done it. I want to be able to show them a lot of different options. I want to show them that somebody who's making these pictures is thinking about how best to make this guy look or this woman look. And, um, to me, when I come back and I have too many pictures that look the same, I feel like I've failed because first of all, it's boring for me to look through them. And I, you know, if somebody really knows what they're doing, an editor or a buyer or something like that, I feel like if they see too many of the same looking picture that they're going to think less of me as a photographer and that will lead to less business in the future. Yeah, great point. Now, just uh, just on technique, there there is, uh, you know, if I was to say there's a classic rodeo shot, it's the one where you've got the rider on the back of the horse being bucked off and like you, you have a few, a few of those in your folio where it's like you've completely frozen the action there. So there's a high degree of difficulty there because I imagine the horse isn't just bucking in one direction. It's like the action's going um, in all different directions. And then so you've got um, 
this this movement that's not not up and down it's left right up all sorts of ways what sort of shutter speed and uh, iso are you shooting at for that and i know that would vary uh whether it was early in the morning or late at night but like just as a general rule how fast uh, are you setting your shutter speed to to absolutely freeze that motion because there's no flash sure. obviously no yeah i don't i don't really shoot rodeo i i have um there are definitely some events that i've done here and there that i'll need to to set up strobes and do it but um i don't it's just not that part of it is it's not as it's not really rewarding to me just having because those pictures it's very difficult to to set up arena strobes and then do different things while you're shooting because those if they're up in the rafters or if they're bolted to a fence somewhere or something like that there's really not a whole lot you can do differently because you're you're just shooting where the where they're aimed basically so i don't that's not that's not rewarding to me um and mostly my clients want pictures that are well lit kind of outside pictures anyway so um yeah, as far as freezing the action goes, these the the kicking motion of the horses is really fast. Like you can barely see it if you're looking right at it. Like the right. the power that these horses kick. Um, I want to be like twelve fifty if uh, I'm sorry twelve hundred fifty of a second or sixteen out of a second if I can get it. Right. Sometimes much higher if it's like really bright outside. I'll let it go up to. 2500 32 yep. 3200th um you know to to freeze it there are definitely times where the best i can do is like 6400 is uh, iso and then um like a thousandth or something like that is that enough I, I to thought, get it it's it's enough to freeze like center mass you're mm. not you're definitely not going to be you know if you if you blow the picture up and look at it at, at full speed it's definitely not going to be like you know, absolutely frozen in the, in the hooves or in the, the rider's arms or something like that. Um, but it's, it's possible. You can, you can definitely do it. And from, for like bull riding where the bull is not going to be moving as fast as the horses, you can get away with a thousand if you, if you really need to. Um, I don't like it because I, you know, when I'm going for frozen action, I want frozen action. Yeah. If I'm going for panning, then great. I'll drop it way down and, um, you know, really embrace the blur. But if I'm going to freeze the action, I'm going to freeze the action. I'm not trying to do like there are, I've seen pictures. If you try to shoot rodeo, like if you shoot like a track and field or something and you're shooting somebody running distance and you're at 500th of a second, you're going to freeze them because they're just not moving fast enough. But if you're shooting a horse that's bucking or, you know, in baseball, a pitcher who's throwing the ball that you, you just need to be faster than that. And you shoot at 500, it's going to look sloppy. Like you'll be able to tell, yes, that's a sports picture. Yes. His face is frozen because his face wasn't moving as fast fast as arm was but if you shoot at 500th a bucking horse if you shoot at 500th somebody who's trying to throw a rope or throw a pitch or something like that it is not going to be frozen uh enough for what you get caught in like the no man's land in between you know having an artistically blurred kind of picture <laughs> and having a frozen action and that no man's land is like they call it no man's land for a reason because yeah. it just makes you look like you don't know what you're doing at that point right so so crank it up um twelve twelve fifty if you can get there with the iso the yeah. o- the other thing uh about the rodeo is it's 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 um often midday and 
you've got cowboys wearing hats. How do you get around, like if you've got full sun and they're wearing a hat and they've got that the shade across the face, how are you exposing for that? Are you blowing out the background? Is there a middle ground? How are you getting those images where you've got some sort of light on the face so that the rider's recognizable at least? Yeah, it's it is very challenging. There there's nothing quite like, you know, uh, but but it's not it, it's worse with rodeo because the brims are so big, but mm. you know, I shoot baseball in in broad daylight where the bill of the hat is is putting the face in a shadow. I shoot football where um, you know, if they're behind the the mask of the helmet, you're not really going to see all that much. So, it's not something that I don't see in other sports, but it's particularly challenging in rodeo. Um, what I'm trying to do is is to find the sweet spot where you don't want to blow it out completely on the highlights because then it's just impossible to fix afterward. You want to leave a little bit there Mm -hmm. so that if you need to work with it, I shoot raw obviously for this kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, so you want to, you want to leave enough information there that in post-processing you can reduce the highlights. Once you blow it out completely, there's nothing you can do in software at that point, even Mm -hmm. in raw. So I want to I want to not completely blow out the highlights on the hat. The background, I don't care about at all. Like I when I'm when I'm metering or whatever, like I'm trying to assess what exposure I should be at. I don't care about the background. I want the I want to leave some room in the highlights and I want to make sure that, you know, if I pull down the highlights and I need to bring up the shadows a little bit, that there's going to be enough room. Um, and, and really all I'm looking for in the back of the camera is, is there enough detail? Can I see any grain in like the, the straw of the hat? Can I see any detail between like the nose and the cheek of the rider? And if I, if I see that there, I know that there's going to be enough to work with in post-processing. Um, and then I just try to, to have the same exposure, um, on all of them so that I know, you know, if I, if I make, if I'm making the same adjustments exposure wise, then I can just, um, copy and paste from, uh, from one picture to, to most of the other ones in that set. Um, and then that'll save me some time. I don't have to go through, you know, every single one. What, um, what software are you using to process your images? <laughs> this is, uh, like the second funniest answer that I have behind <laughs> behind okay. never being never being at a rodeo ever until I started shooting. I use Apple Aperture. Oh, you're um, an Aperture guy. Yeah, which what? is like, you know, been dead for three, over three years. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like Lightroom at all. Like, no offense to anybody who happens to be using it. I cannot use that program. And I've tried every time a new version comes out, um, I, I try to use it. I just can't, I can't use it. Hmm. Um, so I have, you know, 12, 13 years worth of pictures in Aperture. And, um, you know, I've tried, uh, I really like Capture One a lot for like yeah. the quality of the, of the images that come out of it, but I don't like the management. It is a bit annoying the interface. It's, yes. it's really, it's so close. They, they got it so close yeah. to, to Aperture and to the way I work in Aperture, but there's just certain things that are far enough away that it's just, it just drives me insane that I, um, so I've been doing a lot of my critical editing. Like if somebody wants a picture that I know is going to be like on a billboard or on the side of a trailer or something like that, um, I will take the extra time and put it into capture one and, you know, start from scratch with the raw and kind of, 
because the detail you get from Capture One is definitely more advanced oh, it's than what I, can, what I can get. But it's also, you know, the thing is that like Aperture is dead for three and a half years. And I like the pictures that come out of Aperture better than the ones that come out of Lightroom. So um, the Capture One is better than than either one of them. So like I said, for critical stuff, I've been using Capture One. But my everything, I have hundreds of thousands of pictures in Aperture that are not going anywhere anytime soon. Wow. <laughs> um Oh, well, well you, you, you do what works, I guess, and everyone, you and you've got to. a it's system just... and it's a hard to learn a right. new system and you'd, but you'd feel so clunky, I imagine, trying to learn something on the fly like that. Right, exactly. And it, and if, um, you know, if time wasn't a factor, like if I had unlimited time, then I, you know, I could probably teach myself how to get fast at some other program. But the problem is that it's not just having all of these pictures in Aperture. It's that I know the program inside and out. I don't have to think about it. And for me to edit all of those pictures and caption all of those pictures as quickly as I do to move into something else would take a long time really mm-hmm. to get as, as, um, as quick at it as, as I am now. And, you know, I'm not getting paid extra money to edit my pictures. That's all part of it. So if I started having to spend more and more time editing and captioning, I'm not getting paid extra money for that. So that's just a non-starter for me. Well, you're not alone. So David Bergman uses uh, Aperture as well exclusively. So there's um, still, you know, yeah, there's still like, I'm not going to say, yeah, I'm not going to say it's a lot of people, but there are like, I will read from time to time and I'll see somebody on Twitter talking about, um, you know, that they're still pissed at, at Apple for killing it. And, and I am too. Like I, I was shooting a, a hockey game last season and I saw Phil Schiller, who's the head of marketing at Apple. And I, <laughs> I came very close. I just decided at the last minute that it wasn't it wouldn't have been nice to to ruin his evening but i i came really close to giving him a little piece of my mind at that point but i I held off at the last second but yeah i'm bitter about it it's you know it's still even being dead for over three years it still does everything that i needed to do and um with just a little bit of work it could be modern and uh you know bygones well hopefully uh some people are listening and you can start we can start like a lobby group to get it back (laughs) i think most people have moved on Um, I, I could talk to you all day, but like I know you're a, a busy boy. So, um, what before we go, um, where can people uh, find you and have a look at your work and tell us about your podcast? So, my website is mattcohenphoto.com. Uh, M-A-T-T-C-O-H-E-N-P-H-O-T-O.com and I'm the same everywhere else. Uh, Instagram and Twitter and Vimeo. I have some slideshows up on Vimeo, like my best stuff. Um, and then I have a podcast called Big Lens Fast Shutter and I do that with a guy who shoots uh, in Europe. He shoots mostly soccer, football, um, some ice skating and he does like climbing, like bouldering and things like that. Um, so we, uh, we're very different in like our thinking behind things, but it kind of, we sync up when it comes to like what makes a good picture and like the work that, that goes into it. And so we, it's, it's just basically about how to become a better sports photographer. We don't, we don't get into gear very much. We don't get into software very much. We don't get into business stuff very much. We don't get into, um, I don't know. Yeah. Any, any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's really just about technique. how, yeah, it's just like how to, th- it's more, it's even more than technique. It's like the process of 
thinking that goes into the technique, like even further upstream than the technique. It's like, what are you trying to do? Why are you trying to do that? Where are you going to be? Um, who, who do you want to see your pictures and what do you want them to think when they see your pictures? Kind of, it's not for everybody. It's, it's not like, you know, we're not, we're definitely not setting records for, for listenership, but it's been very, very rewarding because we've taken certain people and from people who didn't even know the relationship between aperture and shutter speed and ISO to having stuff published. Um, we have a guy who started out who was super average and he has better gigs right now than either of us. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, he is. Um, he shoots the, he's like one of the team photographers for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the, the basketball team that they have in Toronto. And he's like, you know, this is like a better gig than I have by far. Um, and so he started with us from, you know, from scratch. So it's seeing things like that, seeing guys get gigs and get hired places and have their stuff used in really high profile kind of ways. Um, it works. It's just, it's not a whole lot of fun. I don't think we're, we're pretty, um, like I learned by people telling me how bad I was doing certain things. I, I don't, you know, I don't think that there's like this whole Facebook thing of likes and, you know, shares and whatever. I, I think that that kind of makes people worse at photography because if your neighbor tells you, Oh my God, that's the most amazing picture they've ever seen. It's like, okay, well how many real sporting pictures has this guy actually paid attention to other than mm-hmm. just flipping through the sports section? Like he doesn't know what an editor of like a, a high end brand is looking for, or, um, an editor of, a um, you know, a, a magazine that, that really takes their photography seriously. They, they're, they're, they know you, they know that you shot somebody that they cheer for and they know that you froze the action and automatically that's the best picture they've ever seen. Yeah. I think that, um, you, you want to learn from people who have been there and who, who know what they're doing. And, and so that's what we provide. And it's, um, like I said, it's been like the, we, we get a lot of people who can't take it, who think that they're already at a higher level than they really are. And they don't want to listen to criticism. And so they kind of fall away and that's fine. We're not, you know, we're not for everybody. I don't get paid based on how many people make it big listening to us. But I definitely, it is very rewarding to see people who started out from nothing and were able to work their way up kind of following the assignments that we give them and taking to heart the criticism. And so we do the podcast once a month and then we do a, um, uh, a critique on YouTube every month. So we'll load up all the pictures that people want to want us to critique and we'll just go one at a time and just say everything that we like about a picture and what we don't like, and maybe a little bit of a recipe on how to improve on it or just say, you know, don't do, you know, don't do anything like this. Don't try to shoot this from, um, you know, the stands at a football game again, because you're not going to get anything good. And so we'll kind of, you know, try to, get people on the right path and it's been good. I've been doing it for about six years. That sounds awesome. So that's biglensfastshutter.com if you want to check that out. Yeah. Um, Matt, it's been amazing uh, chatting to you. I'm inspired now. I want to go find a rodeo and see if I can. um... There are plenty of rodeos. Rodeo. (laughs) I have friends that rodeo over there. There are guys who come from over there to, to rodeo for bigger money over here. Yeah. Um, It's, it's definitely a real thing. Yeah. 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 We've got a few. So, and I, I, I want to get out in the dirt too. Um, so I can get a photo <laughs> running away from a pool. So um, thanks. I wish you continued success and uh, thanks again for being on the show, Matt. 
My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, wow. Matt Cohen. I I just can't believe that he survived getting chased by a bull. I would just <laughs> die of, you <laughs> no. know, fear. No. Exactly. And and he continues to do it, you know. He's, he just wants Crazy. to get that great angle. Now, his Instagram is fantastic and you can check out his Instagram at Matt Cohen photo and uh, it's so many awesome shots in action at uh, I don't know whether in which country you say rodeo or rodeo but anyway whatever that is. I think is where you shop rodeo right. drive. Right. Do you reckon? I guess. Because I was trying to work <laughs> out if it's rodeo or rodeo either and, and uh, yeah I often hesitate <laughs> You're going, is it Rodeo Drive and you go to a rodeo? So uh, the testosterone was up. We've now dropped it back down, Val. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I reckon. But these shots are fantastic of all of these horses and bulls and animals in action and people mid-flight and it must be such an exciting atmosphere and he just manages to capture all of that action so fantastically but also his pictures tell a story. It's not just about getting a bull mid-flight. He, he's got some great shots of people preparing for the fu- for the fights. I guess they're called fights, are they, <laughs> for the rides? Um, people who um, uh, are behind the scenes. It's just uh, is what a great life. I know. It's I amazing. Sorry, I've got all the animals now coming. Everyone wants their dinner. Sorry, Val. Um, and also okay. uh, it's worth checking out uh, his his podcast as well, Big Lens Fast fastshutter.com. Uh, so if you want to um, learn more about sport photography from an expert. Fantastic. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes, which you can find at ginamilitia.com. So uh, before we wrap up, Gina, what have you got – coming up this week. Oh, my God, I'm getting ready for a trip, Val, next week. So um, I'm sorting sorting myself out for that and there won't be any more uh, red velvet cake. What about you, you sailing? (laughs) Uh, No, now I have officially got my boat license. Uh, I don't have a boat, however, so I need to sort out something in that department. But I'll be too busy in the next few days because I'm also going on a trip, not quite as far away as you. I'll probably be heading down to Melbourne and hopefully we can catch up. Oh, we might hang up. Out, yes, hopefully. Yes, and maybe record another episode, perhaps with some champagne. You never know. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Where do we find you online, Gina? So, GinaMilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. You can also find me at Gina Militia on Twitter and Instagram, Pinterest. And if you want to check out some of my YouTube videos on how to uh, edit in Photoshop and Lightroom, I'm Gina Militia on YouTube. What about you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And feel free to connect with me on Facebook. You'll find me in the uh, Facebook group of So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.